You know, for some of you, uh, certainly don't remember back to 1972, uh, but uh, for some of you that are walking with the Lord now, salvation came later in life. And, and maybe, I, I don't know whether this message applies to just you or not. Uh, I think not. I think that what I'm going to share with you today applies to all of us. At least I hope it does. 1972, I was 26 years old. Uh, I was uh, turned 26 in July and in August read a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. Uh, by Hal Lindsey, uh, much maligned by a lot of people today, but uh, I thought it a very interesting book. And the important part about that book for me was near the end, it went through the entire plan of salvation that said Jesus died for my sins and uh, that God killed his son. I mean, I'd been going to church my whole life off and on. I wasn't a steady church attender, but uh, I'd been going to church and never heard that God killed his only son to make it possible for him to forgive me and go to heaven. And my prayer was very, very unspiritual. I said, God, if this is true, let it be true for me. I couldn't believe it. It was true that God killed his son for me. And I can tell you from that moment forward, my life changed. And that August day, I'm very thankful for. I'm thankful for whoever gave me the book. I don't even know who gave it to me. It might have been my sister-in-law. Was it Jean? Do you remember? She thinks it was Jean. Yeah, um, they, the, both of the girls were always trying to convince me that Jesus was the Christ. I had no problem with that. I just didn't understand the plan of salvation, that God killed his son so that he could forgive me. I didn't understand that. Now, the important thing from my life's perspective was for the preceding 26 years, I walked under the influence of this fallen world. I, I served Satan. Uh, all those many years. Now, I wasn't a Satanist, but Paul writes in Ephesians that every one of us that uh, is not saved is in fact serving Satan. I was just like the Pharisee that Jesus mentioned. i got to find my mouse point here. He said to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil, talking about source, the source of your life force. You are of your father the devil and the desires, the lust, King James of your, the word is desires, the desires of the Father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. So when I titled this sermon, The Lies My Father Told Me, I'm talking about Satan. I'm not talking about dear old dad. Uh, even now, after 50 years, Satan can whisper in my ear. I can still hear his voice. Uh, and his words will still trip me up. They'll still cause me fear. They'll still cause me to doubt. They'll still cause me to say the wrong thing. They'll still cause me to fumble. They'll still mess up my life. Understanding for me, if it's Satan speaking or the Holy Spirit, has always been very difficult because the voice in my head or my heart or wherever we hear in our spirit is the same voice. Jesus doesn't talk a little deeper than Satan or a little higher. The Holy Spirit doesn't thump me on the head and say, hey, it's God talking. I just hear, I just hear this influence on me, and I don't know who it is. And the only way I've ever, and that was troublesome in the beginning. In the beginning, as a brand new Christian, I set out to do, I forget who was talking about it, but somebody said, everything that voice tells you to do, do. You know, and I, that's great if you're listening to the Holy Spirit. But if the if, if one of Satan's little uh, angels, uh, fallen angels, can slip into my mindset and suggest some things that are uh, 
are not God's will, he can really make a fool out of you. And he has done that to me from time to time. But the more I read the Bible, the more I understand about Jesus and how he reacts. And the more you read and reread about the life of Jesus, you understand what he will say to you. And it's the Bible that helps me discern to tell whether it's the Holy Spirit talking or an unholy spirit. I don't think Satan, I hope Satan's never spoken to me, but I, I think he's got some friends that have had a few things to say to me over the years. Now, last week I attempted to share with you a little bit about the armor of God. And I know I just, just touched on some of those topics. But the armor of God is God's provision to withstand against these kind of, of subtle internal voice it's not even a voice i don't i don't have words to describe it but whatever that is that says to you yeah you ought to do this or you should go here or you should do this whatever that voice is uh, the bible the bible tells us that it's god's armor that is our defense against those kind of attacks some of these are little darts and they're aimed at our heart and they hit you in the heart you can feel it you know they're quick and they're piercing and their goal is to weaken our trust. Their goal is to sow, sow doubt in our hearts. Is this really true? Yea, God hath not said, Satan said to Eve, little tiny quits. That'll never happen. They're designed to stop us. Whether it's stop us from serving, stop us from believing, stop us from reading our Bible, stop us from whatever good direction we are in, they're designed to trip us up. But we know, according to Paul, God has provided us a bulletproof vest. And that bulletproof vest is the absolute righteousness of Christ. The, the problem with these type of attacks on our life, you're looking pretty silent out there. You're thinking, boy, this guy's really lost it. I know, I know. You know th these kind of attacks are on our life, you know, they, uh, they often contain enough truth to confuse us. And that's the problem with it. Often I will hear, you are no good. No good. You're no good. You're worthless. Years ago, I would hear him say, why don't you just go ahead and kill yourself and be done with it? You know, and Linda years ago used to say to me, the advantage to listening to Satan is that the more you listen, the more you realize he always overplays his hand. Because he starts with, you're ugly, then stupid, then you're no good. Why don't you kill yourself? It always goes from, you know, this tiny little attack to where, well, why don't you just jump off that bridge? You just do, do humanity a favor and jump off that bridge. He always overplays his hand, and that's, that's good to know. But when he says to you, you are no good, he's right, right? I mean, if you're a Christian today, you understand there's none good, no, not one. That's what the Bible says. He's starting with a fundamental truth about us. We know we're no good because we're fallen sinners. We know that. So the response to Satan, we don't need to respond. What we need to remember is our mental response, our spiritual response is the Lord Jesus Christ who became sin for us who knew no sin. God killed His Son because we are no good. You know. You're right. I am no good. But I now carry the righteousness of Christ because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God charged Jesus with my sin, your sin, and He charged us with the righteousness of Christ. So yes, I am no good. But we settled that with Jesus a long time ago, didn't we? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what the Scriptures tell us. 
The little quips will be to make us think I can't or God won't. Or look at you. Who do you think you are? God can't use you like that. You failed Him before and you'll fail Him again. Just tiny little quips that just pierce your heart and make you think to yourself, I don't know. The worst thing about this kind of lie, this I can't or God can't lie, is that it stops us before we even try. All right. Later on down the road, when you get involved in something, he'll hurl one of those gigantic spears at you. But right now, these are just little darts that fill us with fear. As we attempt to face our biggest obstacle and challenges by faith, the goal of these little darts is to sidetrack us and take our eyes off what God can do and put our eyes off what we know we can't do. I can't quit this habit. I shouldn't expect to have a good marriage. Everything I touch turns wrong. I'm a failure. I can't follow God. It's too hard. I can't start that business. I don't know enough. You can go on and on. This litany of satanic darts that he'll throw at a Christian to stop you from being the person that God created you to be. What did Moses say? I can't talk. And what did God say? Who made the mouth? You're talking to the Creator God of your mouth and you're telling me you can't speak? Think about it. I can't make this work. Everything I touch turns out wrong. That may be true, but with God, you can do anything you want. In contrast, God is the Creator of all of our potential. I can do all things, Paul said, through Christ who strengthens me. It's true... That's the problem with these little barbs of Satan. There's a little hint of truth in there, and he loves to take our old failures and use them against us so we don't step out and try something new. You know, Paul said, I put those things behind me and press forward to the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, forgetting those things which are behind. Satan is the one bringing that up. So if you know the Bible and you know how Jesus talks, and you hear that kind of thing, well, you never, this never worked before. We tried this before and it didn't work. When you hear that kind of voice, you know one thing, it's not coming from God. Right? As far as east is from the west, he separated us from our sins. And I include my failures in those sins. It's true that we can't do everything. But with God, we can do anything he leads us to do. With God, we can go anywhere He wants us to go. With God, we can accomplish anything He asks us to accomplish. And that includes overcoming our old sins and some failures we may have failed that He has forgiven. With His help, we can accomplish His will for our lives. There's nothing that God and you can't do together. Whether it's something people consider to be great or small, it doesn't matter. What God looks at is the heart. Did you set out to serve Him? Did you set out? Did you make the attempt? That's what matters to God. The very act of seeking to serve God is success. We often talk about failure, but God looks on the heart. Risking failure is an essential part of success in this world. Now, failing God is possible, but God failing us is not possible. I love that statement. Failing God is possible. I may set out and fail God. I have many times. But God has never failed me, and He'll never fail you. 
Proverbs 24 says, The righteous man falleth seven times, but rises up again. But the wicked are overthrown by calamity. You know, with God, you can do anything He's leading you to do. Now, there are other attacks that aren't darts. Often Paul refers to them as arrows. I like to think of a spear. They hit you hard enough to feel like somebody's chucked a spear into your chest. Instead of a quiet whisper in my heart, they hit me like a Mack truck. And those kind of words, do I have that? No, I don't. God won't help me. God can't help me. Now you've done it. You've stepped over the line. Usually that happens when I've gone out and stuck my neck out, or I think I'm sticking my neck out for God. How do you... How do you actually risk anything by sticking your neck out for God? You're not risking anything when you're risking your life for God. When you hazard your life for God, your life is in His hands every moment of every day. The only the only hazard is not to do God's will in our lives. But the truth is, we think like we're really risking all this stuff for Jesus. We're not risking anything. We're, we're betting on a horse that was already won, you know. But that spear chucks you in the chest and it just hits you like you. It hits you. You can feel it. And there's no fixing this now. God won't forgive you. God can't love you after this. I remember one time we stuck our necks out. Well, we thought we were sticking our neck. I thought we were sticking our neck out. London was better at this than I was. And we had this foster child. And we were going to court. And I thought, boy, if we lose this in court, man, this is going to mess up my whole life. I mean, it's going to ruin my reputation. If they find out about this at school, Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm in the Holy Spirit. I'm, we're walking down Route 116 one warm afternoon, and uh, we used to go on a walk together back before my knees got bad and she got in such good shape that I can't keep up with her. We don't walk together anymore. I'd need a four-wheeler to keep up with her now. But uh, we, we used to walk together, and uh, I remember we were walking along, and I was thinking about this upcoming trial, and I was thinking about the implications of what that, that could mean to the church here, to myself, my career, and my school teaching, and I just... It hit me. I felt like I couldn't even walk. I couldn't even breathe. It hit me that hard. But not only did God see us through that trial, we won. They lost, you know, and we're still here. And they're not. Praise the Lord. God has the ability to bring us through the challenges that he sets in front of us, no matter how frightened we are. I wanted to quit. I was ready to cash in my chips. But God knows our weaknesses. Now, the important thing that the psalmist tells us is not only does God know our weaknesses, but he understands them. You think, well, I, uh, Lord, I have this weakness. I'm afraid of this. I mean, he knows. He knows. It doesn't hurt to tell him. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He, remember, he remembers that we are dust. He made us. You think, well, I, 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 can't, I don't know what I'm going to say, Lord. I, I really don't think I can do that, Lord. I'm, I'm afraid. Isn't that what Moses said? And then the same Moses stood down, the most powerful leader of the world, the Pharaoh of Egypt. Pretty amazing when you think of what God can do with a guy that can't speak. God is not frustrated with your weaknesses or your, what you consider to be your failings. He knew them before. Now, the thing, there's a lot of things about this I don't understand, and if I ever get to understand it better, I'll be happy to share it with you, but he built those weaknesses into you. So what you perceive as flaws in your character or your life, God built them in. God, God knows our frame. You know, I, I often make the joke, it doesn't work anymore, 
but I used to make the joke, why did I only get half an eyebrow, Lord? And he didn't think it was funny. Now I don't have any eyebrows. So, I mean, he took away the half that I complained about. I mean, that's appropriate. Right? God is not frustrated with our weaknesses or our feelings. He understands them. Ask Peter how God felt about the denial of Christ. Jesus sought out Peter after that massive failure. Ask the woman who was bent over his feet and washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. Couldn't even look up to him. She felt so ashamed. How God feels about our failures. It's okay to be weak. He made us that way. So now when I get up to do something, I try to say, you know, I can't do this without you. That's about the extent of most of my prayers. You know, I sit down at my table to study. I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. If God doesn't clear my head from all the stuff rumbling around in it, I can't concentrate long enough to write anything. So one of my early prayers is, Lord, clear my head and help me to calm down. I can't do this without you. It's okay to be weak. But we must guard our hearts against being willfully stubborn. We must not resist the grace of God. If he calls us, he will help us. Now, while my words as I'm talking to you about this make this warfare sound like some type of an actual physical struggle. The truth is that this, this warfare is internal. And that's why I bring up the subject of schizophrenia. There's no voice. There's no voice. There's no arrow. There's no spear. But it's real. You know, people say, man, that guy needs to be on lithium. Well, that's the characteristic of a tripartite individual, body, soul, and spirit. And when your spirit is made alive in Christ, you're in connection to a spiritual world. The truth is that this warfare is almost always internal and it's spiritual. And I don't know what I'm hearing or how I'm hearing, but it's there. This battle is fought in our mind. If you can think about the last time you were depressed, you'll realize that battle is fought in your mind. It's the same kind of thing. It's a spiritual battle. It's like a depression. It's a battle that begins in our innermost selves and the victory is won when we choose to believe Christ. Now, I, I tried to share this with Mark last week, but I couldn't remember the passage. I could remember the passage, but not the, the address. It's actually uh, Psalm 32. I was trying to think of 24, 20. I couldn't remember where it was. I was in Tennessee at the time, brand new preacher, just, I think, finished up seminary or almost finished up seminary. Now, I, I'm living in a parsonage that was provided for me. Now, of course, we'd sold two houses that we had owned in the past. Brand new the pastor, brand new the battles of, of the church, uh, brand new to what it's like, you know. Now, where we lived was nowhere. I mean, if you drove there, you would say, really? They, why did they even put a church out here? Uh, it was... Almost like the preacher liked to hunt and fish. He built this church where the hunting was good. And that's where I was. We had a little building, and we had a little parsonage. And right behind me was, I don't know how many acres, 10,000, 100,000, I don't know, acres and acres and acres of woodland filled with squirrel and deer and, 
dove and uh, what was a quail. We used to hunt quail. The fields were right. It was amazing. There were ponds everywhere with fish, so I learned to bass fish down there. It was nice weather, probably 10 months out of the year in West Tennessee. Uh, if it was sunny, I used to remember that uh, anytime it was sunny and the wind stopped blowing, the temperature would rise up into the 70s all winter long. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And I'm sitting in it. I think I'm sitting in a tree stand. I really can't remember, but I've told everyone I was sitting in a tree stand, so I don't want to change the story. I think I was deer hunting. I may have been squirrel hunting. I used to sit under a tree to squirrel hunt and sit in a tree to deer hunt, so I can't quite remember the difference there. So I'm sitting in this tree stand on a beautiful sunny day hunting in Tennessee. Now, am I thankful for this? No, I'm depressed. I'm unhappy. I'm unhappy. I've just about finished... Uh, a master's. I'm just about free from school, and, and if not already free, and I, I'm hunting in a, in a hunter's paradise. Uh, you see more deer in Tennessee. They're not as not as good as Pennsylvania, but you see more deer in Tennessee than you'll ever see in Vermont. Uh, am I happy? Of course not. I'm feeling sorry for myself. Why am I feeling sorry for myself? I miss my home in Maryland. I miss the Eastern Shore. I miss the Chesapeake Bay. I miss the boats and the fishing. I miss the fields and the openness. I'm thinking I'll never own a home again. I'm thinking I'll never get back in a wood shop. I'll never get back on a boat. I'm thinking I've given up everything for Christ. If you know me, you know what a joke that is. But that was how I was feeling. So I used to carry this little New Testament. After I quit smoking, I, I put this little New Testament in. The New Testament had the Psalms. And I just would do this old random thing the way I pick your music very carefully by just opening it and seeing what's there. And unless I detest the song, we'll usually sing it. You know. So I just did this and I opened to the 32nd Psalm. And I read this verse. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. I like that. I like that. Well, that's good. You know, it's a beautiful day. God is committing himself. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm almost finished school. I don't know what's in the future for me, and I don't like what I'm experiencing right now. He says, I'm going to take charge of that. I'll instruct thee in the way we go. And then he said, be not as the horse. I didn't pick up on the horse. I, I wouldn't mind being a horse. I picked up on the mule. That's why I emphasize it. That word mule stuck out in me. You know, and I'm thinking jackass. You know, I'm thinking a really hard-headed mule. Be not as the horse or as a mule which has no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. That's the way I was being. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth the Lord mercy shall compass them about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright of heart. And I had to make a decision out there that day. I don't know if I ever shot anything that week. But I had to make a decision whether I was going to take my joy in the Lord or all that stuff that I supposedly left behind, you know. And I decided then and there that I'm going to do my best to be glad in the Lord and stop being like a mule. have to be smacked over the head every time he wanted me to stop or start or turn or go and do something. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Before we left Maryland, I read a book by Catherine Marshall called Beyond Ourselves, and she convinced me that God loved me more than I loved myself. That's a good point, and it's biblical. Paul says, what shall we say to these things? 
If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Here I am whining about an old broken down house on the eastern shore of Maryland, and God is the king of the universe. Is he going to hold anything back that he wants me to have? The answer is absolutely not. And the truth is what uh, Catherine Marshall said, he knows us better than we know ourselves. Delight yourself in the Lord. He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he'll bring it to pass. The point is God knows what he's doing in our lives and we can trust him. We can follow him and we can trust him. Jesus promised us abundant life. He said, I am the door. I'm the entrance. I am the way. All of those he used. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. When I got saved, I wasn't locked into as a prisoner of war of Christ. Unaware of the fact, all those many 26 years, I was a prisoner of war of Satan and didn't even realize it. Jesus Christ came along and he says, I'm the door. You'll be able to go in and out and find whatever you need. The thief comes not for but to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life. They might have it more abundantly. Now, I emphasize more abundantly because I have experienced throughout this past 50 years the abundance that Jesus Christ can bring. That is true. That is absolutely true, but you can't miss the first part of that verse. Satan's desire for our life is to take away everything you have. If it's good, Satan wants to destroy it. Now you can see that in our country so clearly we don't even need to argue this point. His purpose is to kill, to destroy everything in your life that is good. That's Satan's goal for you. We only need to look around to see it. But Jesus came to open a door to salvation, to open a door to freedom, and to open a door to abundance. And I must confess that when I first began to follow him, it didn't seem that way to me. It seemed like I was giving up everything and getting nothing. But I can tell you now, after 50 years of walking with Christ, his promise of abundance is true. His promise of joy is true. My joy I leave with you. Now, the conclusion is very simple. I thought I'd never own a house again, and now I have two. And the difference is, they're almost both paid for. I thought I'd never go boating again. I didn't think he'd put me anywhere where there was water, and he put me at Lake Champlain. And when I first got here, I looked at Lake Champlain maps, and I thought, man, that's awfully small. I mean, I was used to Chesapeake Bay. It can't be deep enough for a real sailboat. And then I got to looking at the charts, and I found out there's places in, in Lake Champlain that are 400 feet deep. I have a 350-foot anchor line. I can throw the whole thing overboard, and my anchor won't even hit the bottom. Is it deep enough? Yeah, it's deep enough. And the most important thing is it's fresh water. The nice thing about fresh water, where I'm from, there's sea nettles, which means you can't fall in the water or they kill you. I mean, they'll just sting you when you actually don't die. You just learn to walk on water very quickly and you get out of there. Uh, I've seen the Chesapeake Bay so bad that you could almost think you could walk across the bay on these nettles. Uh, they're awful. <coughs> We would take the kids down there, and I'll, I don't know if it was Rob or James that jumped into the bay, and I said, now look out for the sea nettles, and they had to unwrap it around him like this. It's like, it like three laps around his body, you know. It's awful. It's awful. That happens about mid-July to August, and you just don't jump in the water. But Lake Champlain, other than the fact that it's 30 below zero there, you can jump in any time you want. 
Other than the fact that Burlington, you could just about drink the water. I guess Burlington and Ticonderoga are the only two reasons you can't drink the water. You have to, you have to filter it out. I thought I'd never do woodworking again, and God put me in a public school teaching woodworking for 24 years. Everything I thought I was losing that day under that tree or in that tree, I can't remember which, he's given back to me in spades. God's promise of abundant life is very real. And his promise to help us when we're under attack is very real. And I want to close with you by sharing a song. The 27th Psalm. And I, I, did the, I did the underlining. David didn't. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I must have taken this from the New International Version because the King James always says, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So when you see all caps, that's the word Jehovah. Jehovah is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? Jehovah, the Lord is my strength and my life. Whom shall I be afraid? It's almost as I read this as if David is making this decision. I'm not going to fear. I'm going to choose to trust the Lord. When evildoers come upon me to eat my flesh, even my adversaries and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. That should be underlined. I'm making a decision. I will not be afraid. Though war should rise against me, even then will I be confident. Now, I don't see this so much as a promise as I do a commitment of David to trust his God. And I'm going to wrap it up with these. One thing I've asked of the Lord that, will, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Jehovah all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of Jehovah and to inquire in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me secretly in his pavilion, in the covert of his tabernacle he will hide me. He will lift me up upon a rock. Teach me thy way, O Jehovah, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. We don't need to be afraid of that voice we hear. We don't need to be afraid when that spear comes in. We answer those challenges by faith in the Word of God and in the Son of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, I just pray that you will speak to your people and give us great boldness. In Jesus' name, amen.